This podcast is brought to you by Marcus Rodriguez. If you're looking to buy or sell your home in this competitive market and you're not too sure where to start, look no further than Merced's preferred realtor, Marcus Rodriguez. He'll make sure the process goes as easy as possible and you can reach him at 209-554-1715. Go to his website, www.myagentmarcus.com or email him at info at myagentmarcus.com. This podcast is brought to you by Thor. If you're in the Central Valley area and you're looking to get a tattoo, look no further than this dude right here. He's a versatile artist that specializes in black and gray realism. He works in Merced at the Merced Tattoo and Piercing Company. And if you'd like to get in contact with him, the best way to do that is to stop by the shop. And if you can't do that, then find him on Instagram. His Instagram handle is at underscore T-H-O-R-E-E-E-E-E. That's at underscore Thor with five E's. This episode is brought to you by Be Junk Free Merced. Everybody has stuff taking up space, but not everybody has time or the equipment to do something about it. That's where Scott Levesey comes in. Scott is the owner of Be Junk Free Merced, and if you have junk overtaking your garage, yard, spare room, or even a storage unit, give him a call at 209-233-1519. Once again, that's 209-233-1519. He'll get back to you with an estimate and be there as soon as possible. This podcast is brought to you by Duffy Murphy. Whether you need studio time, mixing and mastering services, or even someone to clean up that podcast audio to make sure you sound professional, look no further than Duffy Murphy. He's your guy. And trust me, because he's my guy. You can find him on Instagram at Duffy Murphy or email him duffy.murphy at yahoo.com. Once again, that's duffy.murphy at yahoo.com. Thanks for tuning in to Real Talk and Whatnot. I'm your host, Mikey Daly. And if you're new to this show, this is a podcast where I highlight the talented individuals that live within the Central Valley of California, as well as people in general who are passionate about what they do. A uh, little update for you guys. My Instagram is now Central Valley Podcast. So you can type in Mike Daly, M-I-C-A-H-D-I-E-L-E, and it'll still come up. Or you can just type in Central Valley Podcast. And that's where I'm posting all my promos, all the information about the podcast and everything else. I did start a TikTok but I don't get it so we don't really you can try to find me on there doesn't really matter anyway so thank you guys for tuning into the show I really appreciate it once again I'm going to remind you guys to stay engaged with whatever platform you're using to watch the show on so if you're watching on YouTube make sure you're subscribed to my channel make sure that you're leaving thumbs up you're commenting on the videos if you're watching or listening to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving a review for it both of them have that capability, and that's pretty much all I can ask for you guys to do. If you guys have any recommendations on anyone to come on the show, uh, reach out to me on Instagram, Central Valley Podcast, and I can get to that when I can after I get to through all my work and everything else. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show, just reach out to me through Instagram, Central Valley Podcast, or email me, Daly at gmail.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can and I really really appreciate you guys out there listening and I am forever forever grateful to you guys so thank you listeners I really really appreciate it alrighty let's just jump into today, today's episode today I am joined by a, a very 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 interesting dude his name is Ken Yeager and Ken and I ran into each other at the Mariposa Climbing Museum uh, it recently opened up and it is just a really really cool museum it's kind of tucked away right at the stop sign after the uh right when you go through Mariposa you hit the stop sign when you're about to keep on heading towards like Briceburg area if you turn right and then the first left in that little parking lot uh there's a, a climbing museum up there and Ken started climbing in 1971 when he was about 12 years old and when he went to Yosemite for the first time and climbed he just became infatuated with the area and I cannot blame him at all because if 
it blows my mind when people have not been to Yosemite and they live in the Central Valley. You guys got to go to Yosemite. It's literally like one of the wonders of the world. It's such an amazing place. And like so many people, Ken was drawn there. And especially being into climbing, he was even more drawn there. And it's pretty funny. So Ken went there, I think, when he was 12. And after that, he just started climbing everything. And he even was, he would like go back to his, his home and climb like buildings, like as if he's like climbing a wall. He would scale buildings and stuff like that. And, um, so Ken ended up moving to Yosemite and he moved to Yosemite and became a climbing guide. And Yosemite was a very, very different place in the 70s, 80s, and 90s compared to what we know it now. Like, all my life, Yosemite has been this pristine, very clean place, but it wasn't always like that. Uh, when Ken was a climbing guide, there was just shitty toilet paper everywhere, and there was just trash everywhere. And Ken just pretty much got tired of stepping on this toilet paper. So Ken thought, I know I got to do something about it. And in the podcast, it's pretty funny because he was like, you know, I started this for completely selfish reasons. I just was tired stepping on toilet paper and uh so he ended up creating this thing called yosemite facelift and if you don't know what yosemite facelift is is it's basically about a week or half a week uh every year that thousands of people come to yosemite and what they do is they help clean up the park and that's that's what that's what it's all about it's just about coming together and cleaning up the park and ken just started with you know a few a few friends basically in the beginning and now it's become this big big thing is with so many sponsors and supporters and he, and it just overwhelmed with support and it's just such a great thing to see and uh so the first 14 years, they removed over a million pounds of garbage. That is crazy to me. There were a million pounds of garbage just sitting there in Yosemite, and people were just, I guess they just littered back then. I don't know. It's just so crazy to me that, because now when you go to Yosemite, it's so beautiful. There's so much, uh, like so many trash cans, so many places to go to the bathroom. Just, I don't know. It's just, it's a beautiful place. It's just beautiful everywhere. And so it's great to see that the transformation happened. And this was, I believe, in the early 2000s is when he started Yosemite Facelift. And it really transformed the park and the environment as well. And it's just like such a cool thing. So if you guys are interested in being a part of the Yosemite facelift, uh, which Ken Yeager started, this year's it's September 21st to the 25th, okay? And you can find a lot of information online if you go to YosemiteFacelift.com. You can find all the information right there. And like I said, it's this year, September 21st to the 25th. So make sure you guys get involved if you are interested in that. I really, really, really encourage it. Um, and it's really cool because... He brought like, you know, all these crazy not I don't know, it's cool cuz all the sponsors go from like, you know, really high-end places to like local breweries. And one of my favorites is that he teamed up with Tioga Sequoia, and Tioga Sequoia is a local brewery and they focus all on the Central Valley. It's just such a cool cool thing to me especially, and they make beers for the Yosemite facelift, so they'll have like a certain limited edition beer and they'll 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 produce it whenever uh, the facelift is happening and it's just cool to see different companies coming together and supporting one cause especially something in the valley or valley related now uh before i introduce ken i want to talk to you guys about a really really interesting story uh that i i truly love and i'm going to give you my version of it ken will give you his version of it and granted he was there so that's his version of it it's probably a little more more accurate than mine but this is the one minute version of of a cartel plane crash landing in yosemite so here it is you guys 
This is one of my favorite stories about Yosemite. So the year was 1976. There's a cartel plane leaving from Mexico, headed to Reno, Nevada. On the way over the Sierra Nevadas, it ends up hitting a tree. Its wing comes off, and a mile later, it crash lands in Lower Merced Lake. Now, this plane is carrying three and a half tons of marijuana, all in these little gunny sacks. People hiking in the backcountry that winter ended up finding the wing. They reported it, and ends up that the DEA was waiting for this plane in Reno. So as word slowly gets out, all these climbers and people who work there kind of like, well, let's go see if we can find any of this pot. In order to get there, you had to hike a total of 22 hours there and back. They were going through rivers chest high, the lakes freezing over. And what they see underneath is that there's all these gunny sacks full of weed that had floated to the top. The people are breaking the ice. They're going through the ice that's almost frozen and they're pulling them out. And then you got to hike a full 12 hours back to wherever you came from, which is so wild to me. It's such a cool story that I feel like it doesn't get enough tension and that's why I wanted to talk about it with you guys. Well, I hope you guys liked that little bit. Uh, like I said, Ken Yeager is a very, very interesting dude. I made a fool of myself at the end of the podcast and called him Glenn. I was just shaking my head, but gosh, is Ken such a funny dude that he had a joke waiting for me instantly. And uh, before the podcast starts, you guys, I want to invite everybody to the Butterfly Festival in Mariposa. It is April 23rd, and there's going to be a par parade on that day. If you want to help spread the word, if you want to help spread the word about the Yosemite facelift and be in the parade. There is room for you guys to walk with Ken and his group in the Butterfly Festival Parade. So if you guys want to do that, you know, reach out to Yosemite Facelift, reach out to them in any way possible, and they can let you know how you can do it. Like I said, you guys, please, please, please go check out the Mariposa Climbing Museum. It is at the stop sign at the very end. Right when you're about to leave Mariposa, first right, then your first left, and there's a really cool climbing museum. All talks about all about Royal Robbins and the other founding people who founded climbing in the Yosemite area. It's such an interesting, interesting, interesting story, and I can't recommend it enough. Now, ladies and gentlemen, without any further introduction, please welcome Ken Yeager. This is it. Real talk. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself for people who may not know who you are. Okay, my name is uh, Ken Yeager, um, 63 years old, 45-year resident of Yosemite and surrounding Sierra areas. Mm -hmm. And then, so we ran into each other at the Mariposa Climbing Museum, which you're, you helped open up and your owner, right? Well, I'm not really an owner. I formed a nonprofit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, but I have been collecting that stuff with the intention of building a climbing museum for 30 years now. Uh -huh. So finally did it. And so uh, you're big into climbing? I Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> say. I'm not that great or anything, but I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, so, so. When, did, when did you start? Uh, I started in 1971, so I'm on year 51 of really? climbing. Really? And how old were you? I was 12. And I, I got exposed to it. I, at the time, I was going to sixth grade in uh, southern France in a town called Aix-en-Provence. And I went on a boat ride out of Cassis uh -huh. and around to the west there. And along the shoreline, there's a limestone climbing area called uh, Le Calanque. Oh, really? And so I saw climbers there for the first time. 
And then I knew I wanted to do it right away. So as soon as I got back to the United States at that time, I lived at Davis. I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, my dad was a professor there, and a lot of the professors were climbers, so I started going climbing with oh. them. And and so where was the first places that you went climbing? Well, I tried it at a place called School Rock, mm-hmm. um, and then the second time and that's on highway 80 actually mm-hmm. old 80 above uh, donner lake okay gotcha and then the second time i went to lover's leap which is along highway 50 where they had the big fires last year oh, right okay. through yeah, there yeah, yeah. at strawberry yeah yeah i know exactly but there's a great climbing area there mm-hmm. and i did most of my climbing you know, those first few years at lover's leap mm-hmm. and then i realized the second time climbing at lover's leap that these guys didn't know any more than I did. Yeah. So I started leading with adults. Oh, okay. And, and so I was an equal partner from my third time on. I started leading. Oh, really? So that was, I guess, kind of unusual to think about now, mm-hmm. especially with the equipment that we had. We used what was called a hip belay, which is wrapping the rope around just your, around your around your waist around your right waist, basically Dude. <laughs> and then you hold on hunker down yeah because then if, if you drop it just kind of tightens and oh well it'll yank you right off your feet oh man and i and fall. so it's kind of cool because you're it's pretty uh climbing is a relatively new uh not not new but i'm saying in the sense of like the sport of climbing is relatively new right compared to like because i'm saying since you started all the progressions of the technology through climbing happened right well, yeah, I, I think everything's progressing. I mean, any sport now, is, yeah. you know, they're getting better and better equipment, better mm-hmm. and better training, and climbing's no exception, no exception. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's a new sport because I think ever since <laughs> ancestral been yeah. around that they want to get to a top of a yeah. peak to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, it was, you know, for uh, safety. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a tribe, you know, you could see other people coming yeah, or yeah, attackers yeah. coming from miles around yeah. if you're up high. So I think uh, naturally that uh, mankind just it's likes just, to climb and or, is drawn or a certain to it. amount of them. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then so when did you uh, end up going to Yosemite? Like what was your first time climbing there? Uh, my first time climbing in Yosemite, I'd already read about it and I knew its importance historically as far as the American climbing scene and internationally as well. And I first went there when I was 13 years old, did some real easy climbs Mm -hmm. on the Glacier Point apron, fell in love with the place. I'd seen pictures, but I'd never been there before. Mm -hmm. And anybody that's seen pictures but hasn't been there, you need to go there because they're a lot bigger than they look in the pictures. It's a lot more impressive. And um, I fell in love with the place. And on the way out, I made my parents stop in El Cap Meadow. Uh And I said, I'll be right back. And they waited for me. And I ran up to the rock and And touched it. Really? With my palms. Looked up, huh? And I just went, wow, I got to climb this. So I knew at 13 years old that I wanted to climb El Cap. Um, And and moved back to Davis. uh And then I learned, taught myself how to aid climb, how to haul the bags, Mm -hmm. all the stuff. It's kind of technical. You know, it's more engineering feat than anything else. But there's a lot to it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I taught myself, read every book I can. And my goal was to climb El Cap. I moved to... Yosemite, it's in 1976, December 1976, Mm -hmm. about the, I think I moved there on the 6th of Mm -hmm. December, three days later, the airplane crashed in Yosemite, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah, yeah. And then, then, so I tried El Cap within two weeks with my, uh, a person I met there, a person Mm -hmm. by the name of Mike Corbett. 
and he's working at the museum. I believe you oh, met yeah, him yeah, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him too, yes. Yeah, and so I've known him for a long time. And we tried El Cap together. We had the same goals, and we got spanked. I mean, we spent two and a half days on it and dang near killed ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we were a little inexperienced yeah. and, and kind of had um, a little bit more to chew than we probably should have been <laughs> yeah. chewing at the time. But so we, after we made it down, we decided to train. And, and so we each did some, uh, you know, two day climbs mm -hmm. versus a five day climb. And then we went back later on that year and climbed El Cap. And, and, we, did, and we did four routes that year, including two of the hardest routes really? on it and stuff. So, you know, I know now that I was actually a pretty decent climber, but I never really thought of it. I, I just was hoping to yeah. climb El Cap yeah. someday. I did it I mean, once, you and be I go, pretty, oh, i got to uh, do it again. you got to be pretty confident going in there, right? Would you say? Or No, I you're, wouldn't say that. I'd say you're you so, get confidence. Yeah, you're so casual about it. And just because to me, like when I look at, like when I watch Alex Hondeld or somebody like that, like my hands just sweat watching like people do it. You know what I mean? So, well, like, mine too. That <laughs> shit is scary. <laughs> I, I don't like climbing without a rope. I yeah. mean, I've done it before and I went, I've done it. You know, I did it for a while, but it just seems it's sort of a dead end game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no and pun so intended. But. You got there in the 70s, and uh, that's kind of like the documentary Valley Uprising. That's kind of like yeah, the I, heyday of climbing in the sense of, or in, in the sense of uh, like the, the a lot of hippies living in the living in Yosemite, right? Because I believe in that documentary they say how that's what, uh, having all those people live in the valley is what caused, like, national park rangers to start carrying guns and other things like that. You're close. Close? Okay, why don't okay. you cor correct so me? I think it was 1970 was when they had the riots. Oh, they had okay. the riots gotcha. in Yosemite, mm -hmm. Stoneman Meadow riots, mm -hmm. and it was a bunch of hippies. Like you said, they were there doing drugs for three days and mm -hmm. hanging out, having a great time, yeah. playing music, whatever they were doing. And a lot of them in the meadow, which was damaging the meadow, but it wasn't a, you know, a place to camp or mm -hmm. anything like that. So there's, it was hurting the meadow. But anyway, they went in, the rangers went in to break it up and it got a little bit violent. I don't mm -hmm. think it got real bad, but it yeah. came close, close enough that it scared uh, the law enforcement. Yeah. And then you're right. They started carrying guns after that. And um, as a consequence, because of that, I feel very strongly that uh, the climbers weren't treated well mm -hmm. in years after that because we looked a lot like these guys. We yeah. didn't shave. We had long mm -hmm. hair. Weren't you know? We'd try to bathe, but they'd chase us out of the yeah. shower. So you kind of had to steal your shower at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was. Um, it's like yeah, it's like the aftermath of those their their actions led to people who yeah, are like exactly not the not doing that. And later it on. wasn't the climbing community per se. Yeah, there may have been a few climbers yeah. there with that thing because you know people hung out a lot together then. But it wasn't the climbing community that uh, was involved. In yeah, that for the most part. Mm -hmm. But you know we kind of suffered the repercussions. Uh, yeah. in years afterwards. So uh, that sort of was the start of you know, the animosity between the park service, the concessionaire, mm -hmm. and the climbing community. But it's almost come full circle, it seems like now. Like, uh, like today's day and age, it seems oh, like. Oh, it completely has. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, uh, like, what changes have you seen over the years compared to, like, you know, climbing in the 70s to, like, the way things are done now? Well, it's, it's a different community now. For one, uh, it's... 
there's most of the climbers now that a lot of them have money. Yeah, yeah. They have sprinter vans, and those things are oh. sixty, seven thousand. I know. Every time I see, down. every yeah. single time I see one, I'm like, okay, like, or sometimes yeah. you see like the real decked out ones. I'm like, there's a hundred grand driving right next to me right now. Yeah, yeah, like you're yeah. saying, and like it's like because uh, like, I don't wanna. There's a there's a documentary called Dirtbag, correct? Yeah, uh, Fred Becky. One. Fred Becky, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I watched that one, but uh, it seemed like yeah, climbing culture used to be almost be like you know Fred Becky was the guy who would like he would like live within live within the woods and kind of like yeah, he was an uh, extremist. <laughs> yeah, or, or, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but a lot of us are kind of like that. We love climbing so much, yeah. we're willing to do anything to mm-hmm. to uh, pursue our sport. Um, I didn't have a car or mm-hmm. anything back then. That's the biggest deal. I lived in a cave for two years. Yeah, so with, I, I'm going to stop yeah. you there. Uh, you lived in a cave for two years. Kind of explain how that came to be. Well, it's because when I moved up there, there's uh, time limits how long you can stay in a campground. So in the winter at that time, I could stay in Camp 4, the climber's yeah. camp. Your shirt right now. Oh, yeah. We just <laughs> put those out. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, and so... Um, God, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, uh, uh, living in the cave. Oh, living in a cave. So, yeah, so I was living in uh, Camp 4, and then the springtime came, mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly you're only allowed to stay two weeks, maybe, yeah, yeah, or four like, weeks. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the time limit. So I was there, and then suddenly you're kicked out, and you can't get a site anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I moved into a cave, and it was a lot easier anyway. <laughs> and then... You know, I, I would just stash my stuff under a friend's tent cabin, mm-hmm. and that's my sleeping gear, just, climbing gear. And so I'd leave it there, go grab my sleep bag and stuff, go sleep in the cave, oh, get so back you, up. And, and then climb? Yeah, climb, whatever, hang out, hike. Dang. And so when you're when you're in Yosemite uh, those years, uh, do you have a job? I, I worked a couple winters eventually because it snowed for like, I don't know, months straight. Mm-hmm. 77, 78, I... Applied for a job at Badger Pass, okay, which gotcha. was one of the elite jobs mm-hmm. or fun jobs yeah, for yeah. people who have been working there a while. But I told them I had experience with lift operating and all kinds of experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just lied my ass <laughs> off. And they you're hired like, me. You're like, but oh, I, was, I know these machines. Yeah, well, I was their best lift <laughs> operator anyway. So, uh, you know, I learned pretty quickly. So it was cool. And I wanted to learn how to ski. So I did, you know, work for <laughs> so you even few know to, months. You didn't know how to ski when you are I wanted to. I've done cross country, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, I love skiing and snowboarding. Badger Pass is really beautiful. But then I, I moved to Mammoth, and I six winters there, and I skied, God, a thousand days probably there. So you know, I'm okay skier now. Yeah, dude, I love, I I love the whole Mammoth area. And it was like, I think I, I went to Mammoth about five or six years ago. Was my first time, and so we just went when uh, the pass was open, Tioga Pass. We just drove through it, and like the first day we got there, and we also have dogs, so like. Mm Mammoth's such a dog friendly place too oh, nice. that like it's like any place that's like more dog friendly I'm drawn to. But I've, I I just absolutely love it in the winter and the fall and the spring. Like it doesn't matter what time you go there. It's just like such a beautiful mountain and a beautiful place. And so you you said you did some peaks there, right? Some first ascents. Well, yeah, I wouldn't call them peaks. More rock climbing uh-huh. areas. We discovered a bunch of rock climbing areas. Uh, the climbing community in Bishop and Mammoth okay. at that time, this was in 1979, most of them were into uh, alpine climbing. And what I mean by that is rock, snow, and ice okay. at higher elevations. So peak bagging, yeah. basically, by, you know, with actual climbing involved. In other words, more challenging yeah. peaks. 
and nobody was really climbing in the plateau, Sherwin Grade in that area. Mm -hmm. And there's all these dead man rock areas, dead man summit. Okay, gotcha. There's all this volcanic rock out mm -hmm. there, and it's amazing climbing. Because that's the... Because that's like Alabama Hills is a... Uh, yeah, that's right. granite. That's older granite further yeah. down. That's yeah, by... Yeah, um, south, right? Yeah, I did some routes down there, too. Most of the, Everything I did was further north, mostly. Mm -hmm. So I... Did, yeah, we did uh, Whitney Portal area there. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Is that... That's considered the backside yeah. of the Sierra Nevada Mountains, right? Like... I mean, I was trying to think, or it just... It's called the east side. East side, yeah. okay, gotcha. So we, we in Fresno, Merced, that area would be the west side, Central Valley, and then over the Sierras, there's a long valley that kind of parallels mm -hmm. the Central Valley that's the east side of the Sierras, the yeah. o Owens Valley. Oh, okay, yeah, I've actually yeah. heard of that, or I've seen it at least on a yeah, map. Yeah, there's a lot of climbing there. There's so much climbing in the Sierras, California, anyway, that it's... It's hard to why, even travel, you know, because yeah. so much. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And then, so, you're hiking in the 70s, and and you, uh, or we talked about at when I ran into you that you ended up, like, running into Royal Robbins, right? While oh, yeah, I ran into him a lot, and I, I got to know him pretty well mm -hmm. later in life, and we actually shared the same birthday, so. I, yeah, actually, that's, a, it was so funny, because when I texted you, I, like, didn't even realize that it was your birthday. I was like, hey, like. Oh, I, yeah. I was like, hey, just saw you at the uh, Mariposa Climbing Museum. We'd love to have you on my podcast. It was like a week or two later. And then, like, I go online and, because, uh, like, Royal, I follow Royal Robbins, because they, they send me, like, a whole bunch of gear and stuff. Uh, and then I, I saw that them post that, and then I was like, why does that seem familiar? And then I was like, Ken. Ken told yeah. me his birthday was the same exact day. <laughs> well, I used to call him up and, and wish him a happy birthday, and he'd uh -huh. always go, he's deceased now, but... He um he would always go thanks Ken how did you know and I go it's easy for me to remember and yeah. I did that to him for about I don't know six or eight years some for that, quite a yeah, while and yeah. then finally I just started laughing one time and I just said Royal I have the same same, same birth oh he yeah. didn't even know in the beginning no not at all so I just, so he, he was always, like man you're yeah, always yeah. <laughs> he thought I was on top of it in the birthday mode you know <laughs> he's like man all. if there's somebody who doesn't miss birthdays it's Ken yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know what he thought but I, I thought I found it amusing it's even, yeah I was gonna say it's, it's even funnier for you cause you're like oh I don't know man <laughs> I was laughing so hard it was kind of fun and when he did when he found out was he just oh like, yeah no, he thought it, yeah we chuckled too but he was getting pretty old by then and then mm -hmm. but then i've had uh, his daughter calls me sometimes on my birthday oh, now, really? so that's, that's kind of cool yeah, no that is really cool and uh so you talked about how you've been collecting all this equipment for or all this uh past climbing stuff for the museum you said you started 30 years ago Correct. so did you always kind of have this in mind like nah. that you wanted to open up something or like you just wanted to collect it you know what i mean no, more what happened was my friend Mike Corbett, who I was mm -hmm. climbing El Cap, both of us, you know, had been climbing for a while and, you know, established climbers, but we had some older gear, mm -hmm. you know, as part of our rack, which is our, you know, hunk of equipment, I mm -hmm. guess, for lack of a better term. But um, but on our rack, we had a lot of older equipment and we kind of pooled it together to uh, show kind of the evolution of, yeah. of the climbing gear, not all of it, but a good part of it. And the idea was to get equipment out there and do a little climbing museum. Mm -hmm. And then um, what happened was uh, John Salathe, a prominent Yosemite climber, grandfather of big wall climbing, mm -hmm. multi-day climbing, he passed away. And our climbing magazines didn't even know it. Nobody wrote about them. And I was embarrassed. And so... I contacted a writer friend, bought a video when camera. When was this? Uh, this would have been in 92. Okay, gotcha. And, and so he died then, and it was 
quite a few months later. And so I went with a writer and a video camera and went and interviewed all these people that climbed with John Sallett. Really? And during those visits in the Bay Area, a lot of them live in the uh -huh. Bay Area in Berkeley Hills, Kensington area. Yeah. And they, I went, we went down there multiple times and to get these interviews and so we could write the article. So we wrote the obituary, but at the same time, uh, these people, we told them what we were trying to do, build a climbing museum. They went into their basements, into their garages, mm -hmm. closets, and they pulled out all this old gear and just gave it to us like they were waiting for me to us to come yeah, along, yeah. right? And and so I've been working on this for 30 years while raising kids, while working, while doing you everything seem like else. a busy man. <laughs> and, and I donated my time, and I probably spent a quarter million, 300,000 of my own money on this project. Uh -huh. But I feel very strongly that climbing gave me a direction when yeah. I was younger and kept me out of trouble. And it's my way to give back to it. Mm -hmm. I just happened to be in that position because of what I did. They mm -hmm. gave me that stuff, and there was so much hope and thankfulness in their eyes that I can't sleep without trying to Didn't make it happen about so it, yeah. they kind of cursed me a carrying little bit. on the legacy kind of i mean I, they're not, yeah. not, not even your legacy i'm saying like like they're like the the legacy of the past climbers i guess well i think until i came along they weren't sure that anybody else felt it was important mm -hmm. but they felt it was important enough and, and it was yeah and it's huge mm -hmm. and, and so that was kind of the basis of the collection and, and it pretty much collected everything that was really historical, any big stuff of every decade mm -hmm. of climbing in Yosemite. So it it's I can get anything dude, now because dude. everybody wants it with that mm -hmm. stuff. And so it just sort of happened. It's not like I set out to do that. Yeah, with this grand but plan, I got, just slowly over the years. I did one thing and then suddenly got sucked into it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I don't want to let these people down because yeah. they're dead now and they don't have any other mm -hmm. person to trust. And uh -huh. they trusted me, so I feel like I got it. I got to complete it. So, yeah. Well, uh, dude, the museum's awesome. I really, really enjoyed it when uh, me and my wife, Lindsay, went up there. It was, it was just, like, really cool. And I like the, like, it's, like, it's almost like an order, right? Like, you can kind of, uh, you have, like, the things. The timeline. The timeline, yeah. So you yeah. can almost see, like you're saying, the evolution of climbing oh, as yeah. you go. And it's, like, you know, people used to climb. And then you have pictures, and it's, like, people are climbing in, like, these type of shoes. And then it's, like, you know, 20 years later, people are climbing in these type of shoes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, a really cool progression that, that you see from it. And then it, w it was just so interesting to me because uh, when I got uh, hooked or uh, teamed up with Royal Robbins, it was just, like, like, I had seen, like, multiple climbing documentaries, but I hadn't really, like uh, took time and like sat and read and it was just interesting because it was like I'm a lot better hands-on and it was almost like you know you're reading something and then you just get to see like what what they're talking about mm -hmm. through the different things and it was just really cool and like one of my favorite things or one of my favorite stories ever is the plane crashing in Yosemite and not, I mean I don't know I, I think it's just like one of the stories that's like not told that much and the only time I ever heard of that was on Valley Uprising Right, I get into it a little in there. There's a couple of inaccuracies in the movie okay, there gotcha. as far as which lake it crashed in, and might be something else too, but mm -hmm. it's close, pretty close. So, so why don't you explain for people who don't know about uh, what, what happened when this plane crashed in, in Yosemite? Well, uh, basically what happened, well, there was, I think, three days after I moved up to Yosemite, a plane crashed Perfect in the Perfect timing, hike. huh? <laughs> yeah, but well, we didn't know about it at the time. Nobody knew mm -hmm. about it. Uh, apparently, they were waiting for it in Reno. The DEA was waiting for mm -hmm. it, so they were already suspected drug plane. Yeah. And uh, apparently had, I, I think, around three and a half tons of pot in it. I forget what kind of uh -huh. 
um, airplane it was, but it it hit a tree flying low over the Sierras during bad weather, knocked a wing off, and it crashed about a mile and a half later in a lake called Lower Merced Pass Lake, which is below uh, Clark Range mm-hmm. in that area. It's, it's way up there. And um, so it was sitting there for a little while, and then some people were in the backcountry that went and found the wing and put the number, you know, reported the number, mm-hmm. and they go, oh, that's the plane we were looking for. So they searched for it. They found it. Uh-huh. And by now it's in the middle of the winter. It's like January. <laughs> and uh, this was 1977 now of January. And they gathered uh, the, you know, the spoils and what they could off the bank. But the lake was freezing and the rest of it was in the lake. So mm-hmm. they decided to wait till the spring. Well, and then what happened was word got out. <laughs> and so a lot of the climbing community, other people and employees and uh-huh. stuff started going up there and digging through the ice and finding bales. And so... Oh, really? So they all, they all like, floated out? Yeah, they were all floating in the lake. They were in a gunny sack. It's like the one I found was, I think, 26 kilos. And, you know, really? a gunny sack sewed to the top, you know, chest height, huge. I mean, and soaking wet. And you guys climb up, or it's wintertime, did you hike up? We hiked in, uh-huh. but, I mean, I waded through rivers was, that were waist-deep. I was going to ask, stuff. yeah, yeah, because it was every, cold. Yeah. I only had tennis shoes. I didn't bring any food. I had a down jacket and a sleeping bag and a pack. That's oh, all. Oh man! And I went in and out in 22 hours. Was just you? Just I mean, by yourself? You oh did this? no, I went with a couple buddies. One, uh, two other buddies, and I met one in there that was on his way out, and he walked back in with us. And so so kind of showed you. Four of us walked out. Yeah, he just hung out with uh-huh. us and and stuff. But I found a bail. I had to move quickly because my parents were visiting, and so I needed <laughs> to be back by the morning. I yeah, just yeah. Told them I was on an overnight climb, so. <laughs> Really? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And then, yeah, because uh, it was just, it's just such a funny story to me because, uh, and I guess it, it seemed a little more dramatic in the in Valley Uprising when they were explaining it. It felt pretty dramatic yeah. when I was there. <laughs> no, I'll I know. Tell you that. But uh, they were like saying like the, the climbers could get up there first so they would climb up the wall or they said something along those lines. Yeah. But a little more, I mean, just, I'm probably adding a little. They're like, what's the easier way we could tell the story or something like that? Well, I mean, it was definitely rugged. So yeah. I would say that we we handled. Yeah, we. Well, you know, if anybody's gonna go do well. it, it's gonna yeah. be you climbers who can do it a little uh, a lot better than. Yeah. <laughs> but I got cold. I got wet. And I didn't dry out until I got out, and then you're carrying this wet stuff yeah. that's dripping down your back <laughs> and icicles hanging off your yeah. back the whole way. And it snowed on us on the way out. Oh really? I had no headlamp, and I found my way out on an unfamiliar trail. Dude, that's... I, I reached. I could feel the trail with my feet, but it was really it was pretty gnarly. Twenty-two hours just kept going the whole time, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Well, I laid down for like an hour, and then it started snowing, and we had to get up and yeah. go because otherwise I would have lost the trail because I had no had not, I didn't know where I was. Yeah, dude, that happened to me. My buddies one time we went hiking in Yosemite, and we did. We got there late. It was like Memorial Day weekend, crowded, and uh, we got to four and a half mile trail parked. We're like, oh, we'll hike up here to Glacier Point. Hiked up there, then we're like, oh, we'll do like Illouette Falls. And mm-hmm. that's like, we're like, we'll just go down there. And then like, we ended up talking to this ranger and we like, I think we just explained, explained like where we were parked badly. And he's like, oh yeah, you guys can keep going this way. Then we went all the way down like Illouette to Nevada yeah, Falls to yeah. Miss Trail. And like, we, it was like, I think it was like an 18 mile hike or something. Yeah. And like, we were not prepared for it. We were still hiking at like freaking one in the morning because none of us prepared. None of us had lights or everything like that. But it was just one of those situations where we're like, my mom was like almost about to call. Uh, oh, I bet. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, uh, 
but it was it was just one of those times where like like we we and then we got back to the valley and we still had like two and a half miles to walk to our car. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? No, I've been in that boat yeah. a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually but that's I'm what carrying it, <laughs> a couple hundred pounds, so it's like yeah, uh, that's funny. And so, uh, you are you on any climbing associations or anything like that? No, I started a nonprofit called Yosemite Climbing Association. Oh, okay, so that's what it was. That's about it. Mm-hmm. I joined the American Alpine Club once, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not. I just like going outdoors. I just like doing. I just like climbing. Um, mm-hmm. But just enjoy it. Yeah. And then, uh, so you also started the Yosemite facelift, correct? Yeah, I did. And so, how did you kind of think of that? When did that come to you? Well, it sort of happened at the time. I was a climbing guide. I used to work for the Yosemite Mountaineering School, and I would either take beginners out, teach them how to climb, or mid-range guided climbs. And I guided walls a lot, overnight okay, climbs gotcha. in El Cap. I guide El Cap three to six times a year, so that's a hell of a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You still it, do it? Uh, I haven't done it in twelve years. I want to climb it this year. Oh, really? Uh, I'd like to bring my girlfriend up it. But um, anyway, that's kind of a goal. I feel fit enough now. Mm-hmm. I've been climbing a bit, but I got some pretty bad injuries. Oh, okay, gotcha. From, but mm-hmm. sorry, <laughs> I'm, miss, I'm missing a like <laughs> bicep tendon in both arms. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that from climbing? Uh, probably. Well, it's probably from work or something. Yeah, yeah something like that. It's just abuse. But yeah, I'm sure climbing didn't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Construction okay. probably did a lot mm-hmm. of it. But. And then so you so you would uh, bring people up, start helping them. Uh, well, what happened was I would take people out climbing, and part of my job is to teach people or mentor them on how to act behave in the woods and that comes from using the restroom to Mm -hmm. you know where you get your water carry it in carry it out where you hike Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and um i felt really hypocritical in that you know hey it's a beautiful place wilderness area watch where you're stepping you know anytime you got off the road Mm -hmm. there's toilet paper behind every rock yeah yeah and uh, cigarette butts ashtrays fast food Mm -hmm. and it's just like yeah, people, what they do is they they walk off the road to where you can't see it and then litter there. And what I've found over the years is that once litter starts in one place, it builds up really quickly. Mm-hmm. But once it's clean, it stays clean for a long oh. time. People pick up after themselves when it's clean. Yeah. But, but when somebody drops something, there's a lot it's of already... trash laying around. They just go, nah. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And that's what happens. And, and so... But anyway, what was going on, I was getting disgusted by all this toilet paper. I mean, literally 40 or 50 behind every rock, Damn. you know, it was bad. And, and so... Uh, what, what, around what time was this? This would have been, actually, it was probably around August of, well, 18 years ago, so 2004. Okay, gotcha. August okay. 2004, so this will be year 19. Um, and so, you know, I was angry for a while, you know, like a couple mm-hmm. of years. And finally, I go, you know what? I could turn it around and maybe just organize something. We'll all go out and I won't bring my climbing gear. You know, I'll just go out with bags and clean yeah. all this crap up. And then I don't have to worry about it for a year and I'll feel good about it. And it'll make me feel better. So I decided to do that. And I gathered up a bunch of supplies and I went to camp four, the climbers camp, Yeah, this one <laughs> um, anyway. And then, um, so I, I went with litter sticks and bags and told everybody I want to, you know, just do a big cleanup. So we cleaned up about, I don't know, maybe 40, 35, 40 truckloads, mm-hmm. old mattresses, I mean, tons Dang. of crap. There's trash everywhere in Yosemite at the time. Yeah, that's that's crazy because, like, I mean, since, like, I was 
I was born in 93, but, like, since I went to Yosemite, it was, like, you know, 2010 and on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's always been a super clean place. Like, yeah. every time I go, it's, like, it there's no start trash. that way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it's crazy to us. hear that, like, so, yeah. So, and then, so you would just see all this trash everywhere. So you said took a whole bunch of stuff out that first time? Well, yeah, we did, and we had a good time. We did it for three days. It was about 100 people a day, 120. So we got a lot of stuff. And everybody had so much fun that I go, i got to do this again next year. Uh-huh. So the next year I made it a five-day because there was people that were working, couldn't participate. Yeah, yeah. And so I made a longer event, which it's always been, but it's it's a lot of work. It's, mm-hmm. it's so much work. I'm so exhausted when it's done. But, but it's been a really fun event. And over the years... Uh, every year we were getting more and more stuff, and then the numbers started going down. And now we get about 13,000, 16,000 pounds a year oh, of okay. micro trash, mostly cans, yeah, I was bottles, ask, and just stuff. little small things, basically. Mostly, yeah. And then, but before that, we were finding lots of construction trash, asphalt, really? concrete everywhere, wood, plywood pieces, mini bikes, you name it, stuff uh-huh. in the river, picnic tables in the river. So we've been pulling this stuff out and cleaning it up. And um, we clean, pulled out more than a thousand, over a million pounds in Yosemite hey. over the last 18 years. I think our biggest year was 474,000 pounds. Really? This included an old water tank and stuff. But, I mean, I have thousands of people, and we yeah. just go out and we direct them. Anyway, I knew where all these places were, and so you knew what, what and everybody was done. enjoying it. So I just kept it going, got the permits, worked with the park service, get mm-hmm. the insurances. And then I also combined raffles uh, so all the participants can get a raffle ticket, which for each day they clean, and we do a daily raffle, Mm -hmm. and then we throw the tickets away, and if you want to enter tomorrow's raffle, it's free. Uh You just got to clean up trash. Then you got to come back tomorrow and clean up trash, and you enter the next raffle. Yeah. I get way close to $100,000 worth of prizes. I had the biggest year, I think I had 160 sponsors. It, it, unbelievable, shit. and so that's crazy. But anyway, it turned into this huge event. Yeah, I, say, I supply <laughs> camping. You know, I haven't been able to. COVID's been real challenging. Yeah. So we'll see what we can do this year. This year, I'm hoping to do it September 21st mm-hmm. through the 25th. And um, if you can't do it, come up to Yosemite to participate. Uh, you can participate at home by cleaning locally. Yeah, so yeah. we started pushing that, and I'd actually like to have cleanups year-round now. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm pushing towards that. So that's just something. Anyway, I never knew it'd be so big. I did it mostly for say, selfish yeah. reasons because I was tired of stepping on everybody's toilet paper <laughs> and looking at it. Hey, you people now, out there, you're supposed to now, carry it Little did you know you're going to have 160 sponsors to, to help you out, man. Yeah. And it was like crazy just seeing, like, so when did, was there a time that felt like it really started taking off or was it just each year getting bigger and bigger? Each and year bigger? it got bigger and bigger. And then, uh, what's his name? David Muir, I guess. Uh-huh. World News Tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah heard that yeah. guy. Uh, yeah, the new guy. And who was it? The guy that did it before him. But anyway, David Muir came out and did a five and a half minute piece oh. on it and blew up for World News Tonight. And they play it every year. But that happened in 2007. And I had to kind of limit it after that because we had 4,000 
volunteer days, over 3,000 people, 3,600 people came and showed up, and Dang. it was too much. Yeah, wait, well, it just... And it got too... Yeah, it was getting too big, so yeah. I kind of just limited it now, but that's another reason to kind of do it year-round, and, I, and yeah, I've it, done it other events. Be, it's almost like, hey, like we did this to get it back to to what it is now and like there doesn't need to be a specific date that we go clean up the world you well, guys we still do it because we have evening programs it's a, yeah it's not only a, a it's hard to describe but it it's like a party but it's not it's like a, a collective bunch of people that are enjoying taking yeah. care of their national park yeah. which we always hear that they belong to us mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it when you go to visit <laughs> yeah yeah but it does when you go and work with the park service yeah. and you're cleaning up alongside them and making the park better then it feels like it's your park and mm -hmm. so people really enjoy it it's a week-long event and there's people that met there years ago became friends and they only hang out together during the facelift yeah. and so they come up and hang out every year mm -hmm. and uh so it's it's pretty incredible that way. We've had people get married at the event. And really? It's like, yeah, it's turned into this huge deal. And there's a small segment in Valley Uprising, uh -huh. which you saw. That was yeah. near the beginning of, of the facelift. So it, since then, it's gotten really big. The last two years have been challenging because mm -hmm. of COVID. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, and what that reminds me of is like throughout this podcast, each person I talk to... Uh, I'm, I always get reminded about like the sense of community and like what I think like like what you're saying is like like they're not we always hear the national parks are our parks but like you, when you go like, when you go there you don't really feel like it is but like when you're around people when you're collectively doing something together as a community you do feel more a part of something you feel like it's a I don't know it, it just you, you feel like you're a part of something bigger than just yourself and I think that's mm -hmm. what like everyone is kind of longing for is just being a part of something and so it's funny that you like, like you who retired uh, stepping on shitty toilet paper like I was like I need to clean up and then like but like who would have thought like that thought right there would transition to all this stuff well I, I figured it out pretty quickly to be honest because mm -hmm. I realized this was a good way to uh, kind of improve the climber relationship yeah. with the park service mm -hmm. and that by doing that that maybe I could get my permanent museum exhibit in the park. Uh -huh. That took 29 years. I have one, but nobody can see it because of it's still COVID. It's still, it's close still COVID? not open. Because didn't you say it didn't you? I think you talked about that when I went up there, and it opened like in 2020 or something like yeah, that, right? And you're like, well, well it never really opened. <laughs> yeah, you're like, so I'm still waiting for my spent a grand opening million. on that one, too. <laughs> that was a quarter million dollars, too. So I'd love to have that money and do something in Mariposa yeah. with it. But so since then, I built the Mariposa facility facility and and that and we're open five days a week now wednesday through sunday 10 mm -hmm. to 4 and then i'm hoping to open seven days a week and uh, mm -hmm. it's all non-profit yeah ran. we're all non-profit we can take donations whatever i'm trying to set up retail and you have I've any merch or anything like that we have some t-shirts older ones from facelift but uh we're setting that up um Looking for docents, too. If anybody wants to learn about climbing, does a little climbing, mm -hmm. they don't have to climb, but they want to help us out. We yeah, got be work involved to in the do. And, yeah, I want to make it a friendly place, and everybody's welcome there. We mm -hmm. have free Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. and I'm digging and making this um, outdoor area behind our museum, and I got the building next door, too. So we got a pretty big area now, oh, okay. and I'm fixing up the outdoor area, so I want people to just Stop come hang in. out a little bit. Whatever. Check uh -huh. your emails if you want. Have a beer. Eat your lunch. Yeah. That, drink that. some coffee. Stop in and 
find your climbing partner or meet a friend there mm -hmm. before you go to the park. Uh, I'm trying to work it out to where I can give the wilderness permits for the climbers. That'd be good. Not for the regular hikers, for but the for the climbing community so that they can get it on the way into not the park have to and not it. have to deal with it in the park. So I'm working on that. And eventually I want to have a big, right now I'm making a small climbing center, but I want to make a bigger one uh, once we raise enough money mm -hmm. to where we have overflow camping, climbing gym, mm -hmm. the whole bit. So That's really cool. And then, uh, so when you're, uh, like, so, like, when you're climbing, I'm just, or I'm trying to think, because you've been climbing for such a long time. So did you see, like, uh, like, or hear about, like, the young climbers coming up? Like, did you, like, see Alex Honnold, like, like when he was, like, kind of younger? You know what I mean? Or or Tommy so Caldwell much. or any of those people? Well, I've known Tommy for quite a while. Mm -hmm. He's, in fact, on my board for uh, my nonprofit. Oh, so really? So he's a board member. And, yeah, and, and I have Emily Harrington's oh, another Emily, wellness. Yeah, dude. Beth Rodden's another wow, one. She's really? on our board, too. And Beth, I, I actually, since I grew up in Davis, she did, too. And I went to the Rocknasium, the local gym that she worked or uh, climbed at, and... Um, I made some wooden holds for those guys, but I remember seeing her climbing. God, I don't know. She was pretty young though, like 14 years old, 13, 14. I'm not even sure what age, mm -hmm. but it was quite a while ago. And I was like, whoa, she's a good climber. You could tell. Yeah. I mean, and uh, that was Beth Rodden. And then she went on to, you know, yeah, yeah. be with Tommy for a while and do a bunch of roots. And oh, now she lives in Yosemite. And that, yeah. And was that, she's, is she in the Donwall? Yeah, she is. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Cause the, that documentary is yeah, wild. I, I like Don Wall almost better in a lot of ways. It's got a better, kind of more personable story. Yeah. There's more characters in it mm -hmm. and, and more, you know, and the, the whole Cures of Sand thing is horrendous. Yeah. But um, anyway, and anybody hasn't seen that movie, they yeah, should. Yeah, Don Wall is... It's a good movie for sure. Yeah. And then so you said you were involved with helping uh, do the Valley Uprising, right? Yeah. And so them. what parts or what parts did you help them out with? Well, I helped them with the content. Um, mm -hmm. I worked with them probably six years, I guess, when they really? started That's the how movie. long it took? Yeah, well, I had all the artifacts. I had the pictures or access to them, and I also knew the players. So, I mean, they were, they're all from Colorado, so mm -hmm. they know a bit about, um, you know, uh, Yosemite climbing, but they're Colorado climbers, so... Really? You know, so I sort of helped with a lot of the Yosemite history. Mm -hmm. Not that they didn't know a lot of it, and there were a lot of other people that mm -hmm. helped as well, but they'd stay at my house. We'd do the filming, the interviews. So I, I did a little interview segment in there, and they used my voice quite a bit, and then I'm at the end, too. You're but, at the end for talking. Is that when they're yeah, talking? Yeah, but I'm in the middle of it, too. Oh, really? You know, I think I'm clean-shaven. Because we rewatched it after we uh, saw you uh, saw you in Mariposa. We're like, oh, let's rewatch Valley Uprising. And uh, we saw you at the end, for sure. We're like, okay, that's yeah. for sure him. And then we kept on like like we're like is that him is that him is no that him? I, i'm the part where I, I talk about how a lot a lot of the rangers didn't like us and in, in particular because you know they had to work and we were up here and didn't have to but yeah, also yeah. because we were rather fit so we had the girlfriends and that kind of pissed a lot of them <laughs> off i think and so were there places in the 70s like so 70s yosemite like what was that like kind of like what like the culture of it you know what i mean God, hard to say. <laughs> I mean, I grew up thinking I was going to Vietnam. So, you know, mm -hmm. that I think is why I got into climbing so heavily. It just got my mind off of... Escape of it? Yeah, because mm -hmm. I thought I was going to Vietnam. I wasn't sure I'd be able to shoot anybody. So I wasn't sure I was going to live past 18 years mm -hmm. old. 
And because of that, hell, I kind of pushed it climbing. Uh-huh. And I got pretty good. Yeah. Not great, but pretty good. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, like, enough, you're like, I'm not great, I but I'm pretty good. <laughs> I did a lot of it. That's all. Yeah. But knowledgeable. And, you know, and um, anyway, so I feel like it gave me a direction. And then suddenly I lucked out and they stopped the draft and all that. And then it's like, oh, now what do I do? Well, go climb El Cap and I'll keep on climbing, uh-huh. you know, so. Um, cool. So I moved to Yosemite when I was 17, <laughs> going, oh, but I think by then I knew I was escaped the draft. So yeah. It, it was a lottery system. <laughs> Dang. By last so they stopped right before? Well, I think there was three or four years where they did the lottery. I'd have to look it up, mm-hmm. but still, it's like, shit, if you I just get a knew. Bad number. That's crazy to yeah. think. And I always like think, like, are, like my generation compared to like, like your guys' generation. Completely different worlds. Yeah, we all have different challenges. Yeah, yeah. You guys are going to have your own, man. We have this thing in our pocket that we can't get off of, man. Well, yeah, you see when mine. Uh, <laughs> you're like, you're like, I got right, one of those I too, got man. Five phone calls since we started talking. So. <laughs> I know, I've seen. I was looking down. I saw you looking down. And then so uh, you linked up with Tioga Sequoia, yeah. and they helped you put uh, like do some beers for facelift, or what? Did you, what, what did you guys yeah, do? Yeah, I used to work with uh, New Belgian Brewing, uh-huh. and then uh, that's Blue then Moon, went, right? Yeah, and then they were building a new brewery, and so they were a little short on money, and then uh, they couldn't. Anyway, they dropped out one year as a sponsor, so this is for the facelift event. So Tioga Sequoia, I met with Michael Cruz with Tioga mm-hmm. Sequoia, and they uh, filled in. And uh, they've been doing the beer since. And then I also worked out a deal with our T-shirt. We do a new T-shirt every year for uh-huh. the facelift. And um, we take the artwork and we put it on a can with Tioga Sequoia. And they do a beer branded for Yosemite uh, facelift beer. The, the, and, and then we the get a certain church? amount oh, of the, the sales. Well, yeah, it's the same, same design. artwork. Yeah. yeah, but it's on a, a beer can. And oh. so we've done that for the last three years. And there, we're also 1% for the planet. Uh, nonprofit. Uh, so we, okay. anyway, so that's one of our 1% for the planet partners. And so basically they, every 50 cents that they sell out of a can goes to us and uh, of the Yosemite oh, face that's branded really beer. Cool. So it's a way for them to help support what we do as an organization and 1% for the planet. And mm-hmm. it allows us, you know, we get a lot of those and we can stay, keep say, doing this yeah, stuff. But, that's uh, really cool. So that was just something that I'd wanted to do for years, and I tried to work it out with New Belgian. It just never worked out. Mm-hmm. But the Tioga Sequoia was like yeah. the idea, and, and then, it's worked out really well. So when when did you guys link up? When was that? I'd say it's probably about four years ago. Okay, four or five. And have they always had like their half dome beer and other stuff like that prior to yeah. that? Yeah, they, so they, had... they were always Yosemite. Yeah, I was gonna say and, yeah, because that, and that's like when I first started singing was just in Yosemite, and then you could tell like now it's growing. You yeah, know what I, I mean? Think they have a Firefall. They yeah, they have Firefall El Capitan. I don't even drink anymore. It's pretty funny. I you know I used to love beer and drink beer, but I don't anymore. And now I got a beer sponsor, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> you're appealing to all the different crowds so that, yeah, that works but, that way but, but yeah no people like it and i get it and it, it's just mm-hmm. anyway, it doesn't do anything for me anymore but um but also you know i had a non-alcoholic athletic brewing was one of our oh sponsors. really they weren't last year but the year before they were so uh-huh. um i'll try to get that and we had subaru as a sponsor but we really? kind of got dropped by that anyway there everybody's kind of changing everyone's kind of figuring yeah, things out since the pandemic like, and everything yeah it's 
everybody's figuring yeah <laughs> repositioning did, did, for did the pandemic allow you to focus on putting together the climbing museum or did that happen afterwards no i mean it was going the whole time it oh it was actually okay. demotivated me because it's like shit you know i can't even show it to yeah anybody. yeah i guess yeah so yeah sense. i constantly worked on it but i also did stuff i mean i was homeless for seven months because I, I had to evict somebody out of my house so oh, it was a little really? hard to work on it yeah, yeah anyway, just it was, a lot of moving parts got a lot going so on so i just had a lot going on no but, no i gotcha but also during COVID, it's like this place you know you saw it it's kind of a little bit small i mean we got air you know purifiers yeah. and all that stuff in a good system and we can open the mm -hmm. doors but it's small so you know i didn't want during COVID. i didn't want to fill it like, up with a lot yeah, of people exactly and that's yeah because that's what you were kind of talking about when we I were i don't want to get anybody sick yeah. i don't want to get sick myself mm -hmm. either so i mean i'm boosted and all that stuff but yeah that I can still get sick so yeah that's true and uh so i'm trying to think <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. That was that was all my questions, but uh, oh, yeah. no. But I but I don't know. I it, I just am so fascinated with with climbing and like the evolution of it. And it's funny because it's like I don't climb at all. Like you got to try it. Yeah, yeah. I, you might like it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I, I guess I'm just like a, for some reason I think like I guess if I go with somebody who knows what they're doing, you know what you I like mean? Hiking? Yeah, yeah, you like yeah, hiking yeah. top of half dome. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I've been on a cl half dome, clouds rest, lost coast yeah. trail. I've done like a whole bunch of things. Like, and I love backpacking. Like, I absolutely love backpacking. Probably like it. You know, mm -hmm. the thing I found, um, I I taught a lot of people how to climb, and and especially if they hadn't gone before, I take a lot of time and explain the systems until they understood what mm -hmm. was going on. And if you can understand what's going on, you're going to feel a lot safer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Instead too. of hey, just just do what I do, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you'll Follow my lead. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen it so many times where, you know, guys take their girlfriends out climbing and they put them on something too hard and they, they'll never climb with them again. You yeah, can, you yeah. You can tell, well, there went that relationship. <laughs> but, but, uh, That's, you know, so there's, in, anyway. Do you do any indoor climbing too? Yeah, I do, just to stay in shape. And yeah. I used to actually make all my own holds, and that's why I was at Rocknasium where I saw Beth because uh -huh. I, I made some, uh, I made them out of black walnut, and they're really oh, nice really? climbing holds. Yeah, I'd hand carve them. And, and so stuff. what's the hold exactly again? Well, the holds, the hand holds that you bolt on the oh, indoor climbing. Oh, okay, gotcha. Type, lack of a better term, the grips. But yeah. Not, <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, court climbers would laugh at that but uh, we wouldn't call it that but yeah yeah called holes, for you but, the the folks who don't know <laughs> but anyway i'd make them and i had my own climbing gym oh, back really? starting in 1985 86 so i was one of the first people to have really? an indoor gym. yeah i was gonna say because it's like now they're getting to like a lot of popularity at, but yeah at that time uh it was just starting to take off there was one gym, uh, Peter Mayfield had a gym uh, called City Rock down in Emeryville. Mm -hmm. That was the only climbing gym I knew about at the time. It was before Mission Cliffs or any of the really? other ones. And, but I had my own holds. I had a garage, and I put holds on overhanging walls all the way around, climb up the roof. Yeah. And I had mattresses in there, and people come down. We climb on it almost every day. For and when was training. that? 86. 86. Through that was 92 that, was, or three. Was it just at your house? Or did you mm -hmm. all, really? Yeah. That's cool. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like working with wood and, mm -hmm. you know, do a lot of construction. So I had tools and stuff and I had all this black walnut wood and I made some holds in it. Because walnut's up, like the, one of the hardest type of woods, isn't it? 
or something like and that? It's not necessarily hard. What I found with it, if you use like a 60 grit on it, uh-huh. that it's really featured as grippy it, uh-huh. and they don't polish like the plastic uh-huh. holds. So I have holds that are 30 years old now and they're still good. Really? Yeah. It's amazing how good, how long they hold up. And most people don't really realize, but they're time consuming to make. So it's, it's not worth making them uh, yeah, I was gonna to say, sell. Yeah, but, but just for yourself or like yeah, when you were doing it for your I own. I gave some or sold some to Lynn Hill and, and some other people. They're really the best holds around. Mm. I have a trash can full of them still, so oh, I, I really? just got to build a new wall. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. Well, hey, Glenn, I want to thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate Oh, what? Ken. Oh, my God. I'm so, why did I say Glenn? No, I don't know. No, I'm so right. sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Ken, well, embarrassed myself at the end of no, this, right. but I really appreciate uh, you yeah. being here. Oh, your pleasure. My pleasure, Michael. Of no, course. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was perfect. That was perfect, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you being here. Yeah, I hope you can use it. And Oh, yeah, for sure we'll fun. be able to use it. <laughs> This is it. Real talk. What not?